in Pampaloma, Spain, uh, there's this festival that's called the Running of the Bulls. Anybody ever heard of it? Running of the Bulls. I don't know how much you know about it, but every July 6th through the 14th, for nine days, these crazy guys in white with red scarves that are called mozos run through the streets of Pampaloma. A rocket goes off. And the guys start running for their lives. And then 10 seconds later, another rocket goes off and they release six bulls to run the streets of Pampaloma. Every year, tons, um, not like a lot of people, are seriously injured running for their lives. I don't know about you, but I, do, I don't like being chased. I don't like cars behind me. I don't like credit card you know, companies chasing me. I don't like anybody chasing me. The only people I like chasing me are when I'm running in a race because that means I'm beating somebody. That's the only time I like people behind me. Today I want to tell you about the great chase. It's a chase that affects every single one of our lives. It's a chase to try and hold your life in check. It's a chase to hold you back and not allow you to live the life God intended for you to live. First, a little backstory. Last week, I told you about Moses meeting God in a burning bush. And God began to speak and tell Moses that I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to go back to the place where your past is, where you buried your past. I want you, Moses, to set them free. So Moses reluctantly goes back to Egypt and he gathers all the Israelite leaders and he tells them, that this is what just happened. Like God met me and spoke to me through a burning bush. God turned his staff into a snake. And God told him to go back to Egypt to gather up his people and then go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people Moses says, stop whatever you're doing. It's time. We need to go to Pharaoh now. So Moses goes into Pharaoh's chambers, and he stands before him, and he says, God demands that you let the Israelite people go. Pharaoh says, God, I don't know who you're talking about, but I'm God. What are you talking about? And as he's thinking about it, he, he kind of looks out and he realizes, hey, who told you Israelite people that you could take a break? Why aren't you guys working? You know what? Since you stopped working, here's what I'm going to do. My people are going to stop providing you with the materials to make the bricks 
to build my kingdom. Now you have to go get your own materials, and I'm not changing the quota. You still have the same quota to make, and you have to get all the materials yourself. And if you don't, I'm going to punish you. So the Israelites look at Moses and say, thank you so much. Epic fail, Moses. Can you imagine being a seven-year-old child in this time? Mom and dad are making some money. And they're making bricks to get by. You go out and, and you look for the materials that they need. You bring them back to mom and dad, and they make the bricks. Then at 6 p.m., here come the chariots, coming to see if the Israelites produced enough bricks. And if they didn't, the whips came out. Imagine having to watch your mom and dad being beaten and to see your parents walk in the door, hardly able to walk as they wear the marks of who they had become. You see, this was the life of the Israelites for 430 years. But God keeps promising, I will set my people free. I see their pain. I hear their cries. I will be with them because I am for them. So God sends 10 plagues. And as we, we read in, in Exodus, we kind of think that these plagues are almost kind of random. But if you actually study Egyptian culture, you'll actually find that these plagues aren't random at all because these plagues actually attack a deity, Egyptian god. It's a personal attack. Every plague is an attack on a deity of the Egyptians. And God literally attacks the Egyptian gods and says, I'm stronger than you. After the 10th plague, the Israelite or the the, the Egyptians say, go, like, go. Not only did they tell them to go, they said, you know what? Here's our gold and silver. Take that with you and just go. Like, we don't want you here anymore. And then it gets back to Pharaoh that the Israelites are actually leaving. Don't forget that the Israelites were the workforce for the Egyptians. Kingdom doesn't get built without the Israelites doing the labor. And so Pharaoh realizes that he made a mistake. In Exodus 14, starting in, in verse 5, in, toward the end of verse 5, Pharaoh says, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready, and he took his army with him. He took 600 of his best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. So here's the 
here's kind of a, a picture of what an Egyptian chariot would have looked like. There would have been one person driving the chariot while the other was either throwing a spear or shooting arrows at the enemy. And it tells us that Pharaoh took 600 of his best chariots. But he wasn't satisfied there. He then called up the JV squad and said, you're going too. Because we're sending everything we have after the Israelites. The chariots had two horses each. The Israelites had hundreds of thousands of people traveling on foot, carrying all of their possessions with them. About the time they think they're free, they start to hear the war cries getting closer. In verse 10 of Exodus 14, it says, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. You see, at the, this moment, the Israelites are terrified. They're filled, filled with fear. And you see, fear is the chase to pull you back and put you in your place. Fear is going to pull you back and say, you need to stay right here. Because if you leave this place, you don't know what's out there. It could be the best thing in the world, but it could also be the worst thing that you have ever faced. And fear says, I'll stay here where I know what life is. Getting beat because you didn't make enough bricks. Getting held in slavery for the rest of your life to work. For 430 years, and they got a taste of freedom. But Pharaoh said, oh no. You don't get to go anywhere because I'm coming after you. And we're going to pull you back and we're going to put you in your place. You see, every day fear chases you. I don't know what that fear is. I don't know what the chariots are, the metaphor for in your life. But fear wants you to believe that you can't go anywhere but right here. You can't be more. You're not good enough. You're not able to accomplish that. If you step out, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to fail. You won't succeed. You can't leave this place right where you're at. 
And it's what fear does any time you want to push outside the boundaries and all it does is pull you back and put you in your place. Moses sees that the Israelite people are afraid and they're terrified. And he says this to him in Exodus 14, 13 and 14. He says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians see you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. It's important that we don't miss that last part. He didn't say, do not be afraid, stand and fight. He says, stand firm, and all you need to do is be still. But step out in faith. Step out in faith. Don't allow yourself to be pulled away from what God is trying to lead you into. He says, what you see today, you will never see again. I'm reminded of a story I heard a pastor friend of mine tell me, he said that he was at a public swimming pool and there weren't a lot of people there, but there was this boy that was about four or five years old and he kept begging his dad to go off the diving board. He really wanted to go off the diving board. And his dad finally says, yeah, you can, uh, but you need to go get ready. Next thing he knows, he says, this kid, this little kid comes back and he's waddling because he's got his oversized floaties that he has his arms crammed in and he's got his goggles on his face. The goggles are all fogged up. And he, he goes out to the end of the diving board and he turns and he looks back at his dad and he says, Daddy, why do they call it a dying board? And his dad was like, no, no, no. It's called a diving board because you jump into the water. And his dad is just cheering him on. But the kid just goes to the end and he just shakes. And like he's like, he's eventually just going to fall off. And so the dad goes and he gets in the water and he goes to the bottom of the diving board and he just cheers his son on. His son eventually gets up the nerve And he goes to the end and he jumps in and he sticks his feet out and smacks his dad right in the face with his foot. And his dad, being a cool dad, comes up out of the water, begins splashing and yelling, you did it, you did it. And he takes him to the side and he puts him up on the the side and he goes and says, do it again. And he goes to the end of the diving board. His dad's there. The kid jumps off. Bam! Kicks him right in the face again. Dad comes up with a bloody nose, cheering, You did it! You see, the dad didn't care. 
You see, the dad knew that he had two jobs. His job was to catch his son. And his second job was to be his son's biggest cheerleader. He didn't want to hold his son back. He knew that if his son saw him in pain and saw what he had done to his dad, that he probably wouldn't be so excited about doing it again. But he encourages his son. You see, faith propels you into the arms of the Father. Faith's job is to propel us into to the arms of the Father. You see, faith, or fear will pull you back. It wants to hold you back and into that old broken self. But God is cheering you on. He's calling you out into the unknown. Because it's when we step out in faith that we have to fully rely on him. Because we don't know what's going to happen. But we have to have faith and trust him. You see, the little boy on the diving board had to make a choice. Will he trust his father to catch him even when he kicks him in the face? Will he put faith in his father to catch him? He also has another choice. He can get off the board because it's too dangerous. Despite what his father's telling him, I will catch you. He can choose not to trust his father and go to safety. Go to the place where he's comfortable. Every day, you and I have a choice to make. Will we let fear win or will we be propelled into the arms of the father? Will you choose fear or will you choose faith? As they come to the Red Sea, Moses takes his staff and he sticks it in the water. And the waters part. When you have water, and you have sand and rock underneath it, and you remove the water, what do you have? Mud, muck, right? But it says that they walked on dry ground as they crossed. So, so God didn't just part the waters. He made it possible for them to walk through it. Right when you think the Egyptians are going to get them. Because you see the Egyptians got out into the water as well on dry ground. 
But it says when Moses removed his staff from the water, the walls of water came down. What you see today, you will never see again. The thing that they feared was removed from their sight because they walked forward in faith. Exodus 15, we actually see the very first worship song. And I'm not going to sing it to you because I, 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 I'm not a public singer. I'm a, a shower singer um, and a car singer. That, I, I, that's as far as my singing goes. But in Exodus 15, it, it says that the chariots of fear are thrown into the sea and the Lord's people are set free. And as they're standing on dry ground on the other side, having just witnessed what God did, they begin to chant and sing this song to God. The chariots of fear are thrown into the sea, and the Lord's people are set free. You see, the way, the reason they were able to just be still was because God did the fighting for them. You see, God can't fight for you until you step out in faith. If you're stuck right here and you're overwhelmed by fear, God can't work. God can't move. You handicap him. You tie his hands. And you're like, whatever, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. But he also gave you free will to choose. So he lets you and I choose what we think is best for us. And so many times what we think is best for us is to stay right here because we're afraid of what we don't know. The this, this story of the Exodus, slaves becoming free. You see, Exodus means to depart or to leave. You see, the Exodus is actually a foreshadowing of the gospel. The New Testament writers understood Jesus to be the leader of the new exodus. A way out of the old to step into the new. A life that was dead to sin, but a new life that could be raised to life. You see, sin was that old life. But God sent Jesus as a pathway to the Father. You see, that Exodus moment when they, they're crossing the Red Sea on dry ground, it actually is a, a symbolism or a foreshadowing of baptism. 
Because you see, what the Egyptian or what the Israelites say on the Egyptian side of the water? Why'd you bring us here? You just weren't there enough graves in Egypt, so you had to bring us out to the desert to die. It would have been better if we had just stayed in Egypt as slaves. There we knew what to expect. Now we're just going to die here. But as they walk through the walls of water, that old self is left behind. And they emerge on the other side, having stepped out in faith, being made new. Lives being changed a new future being fashioned for them. So many times we're, we're stuck here. And you see, when we're stuck here, we're dying. Fear wants nothing to do with the unknown. I hear people will tell me a lot, oh, I don't like change. No, no it's, it's not that you don't like change. You fear the unknown. Because what you don't know is scary. But here's the beauty. You're not doing it alone. At least if, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should realize you're not taking the next step in your life alone. He goes with us. That next step is a step of faith, trusting him. That even though something bad may happen, he's still in control. He still has us in his arms. He still wants to step us, to take us places that we've never thought possible. But we stay here. I'll be honest with you. I find myself at a place just like the Israelites. You know, we have this vote coming up. Well, for you guys, it's a vote. The vote affects me. I have a decision to make as well. If the vote goes one way, I have a change that we'll have to make. If, if the vote goes this way, change will happen. I'm, I'm affected by both sides of it. You know, as I've been and processing and talking to Jennifer about things, one of the hardest things for me to do is keep my mouth shut. Because, because I, I want to say, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Like, I want to correct people and help people understand things. But it's like, I can't say anything. 
And I told Jennifer one day, I said, you know, no matter what I say, I don't think people in the church will ever understand my heart and ever understand where I'm at in this because they're never there. You see, your vote, whichever way it is, is based on your decisions, your beliefs. But no matter what your decision is, it affects me. And not just um, my job, but my, my family. And, and I'm not giving you this like sob story to say, well, you need to vote a certain way. I'm not saying that. But I find myself in that position of, God, I'm terrified. I don't want, I don't even want to have this vote. Let's just put our head in the sand and act like most of the other churches. But we can't do that, right? Because that's just staying right where we're at. That's fear pulling us back. So we, we have to make a decision. You see, that's why the United Methodist Church is in the position that we're in with churches leaving. Because for so long, we've just stayed here for fear of what would happen if, if we took a stance this way or took a stance this way or made a decision. What are other people going to do? Or what are these people going to do? What about our money and all that? And we have all these things, these external things that begin to want to keep us right where we're at. And so we fear making a decision. So we step out in faith. And we ask God, lead us. That's what a vote really is. It's what it should be. It's not about what I want for me. It's about what you believe in. It's about what you feel is best. We can disagree. It's okay. It doesn't make us enemies. But my challenge to us is to not just stay here. But to step forward in faith. And allow God to lead us. Allow God to, to be the voice that guides our lives. Not just as a church, but as individuals. As we step into today, we have a choice to make. When we wake up tomorrow, we have a choice to make. Will we allow fear to keep us here? Or will we step out in faith into the arms of the Father? Stand with me. And I do want to make one clarification because as I realize that I'm saying 
stay here in fear and, and step out in faith. I want to make it clear. I'm not talking about like staying United Methodist. We're staying in fear and like stepping out in faith. We're like, I'm not making that parallel. So I hope that you didn't hear it that way. Um, but I realized as I was talking that it was possible for that way to um, be connected. Um, please know that wasn't where I was going with that. If you would, just reach out your hands and receive this blessing. Jesus, I thank you that you call us into more. That you never want us to be satisfied in our faith in our relationship with you, but you call us deeper. You call us to take a step closer to you every day. But God, fear is scary. The unknown is difficult to navigate. God, we pray that as we step out in faith, that we're stepping out into your arms to carry us through on dry ground into the place that you have called us to, that you've created for us. God, I pray that you would be honored with our lives. May we seek to honor you. May we seek to love you more each and every day. Be glorified in us, Jesus, I pray.